You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Corbin is in for Aaron. Tom's going to call in. Uh, he's going to be out at the park today for opening day, so he will call in for a, uh, a segment. Um, and Van Pelt will call in a little bit later on. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. It is opening day, um, and I will save that for Tommy. We'll do a Nats preview uh, of the season um, we'll do Sweet 16 with Scott. I've got a little bit before then. I've got a smell test for the for the Sweet 16 games uh, tonight. Um, and I've got uh, a, a lot of Redskins here to do um, very shortly. I, I did want to mention that the Wizards won last night in Phoenix. Bad Wizards. Bad Wizards. Do not win games. Every win down the stretch is a bad win for them. The NBA lottery, by the way, if you didn't know this, is different this year than in recent years. The lottery will determine the top four picks in the NBA draft, not the top three anymore. And the odds for winning the lottery are spread out a little more, meaning that it's not nearly the long shot that it used to be. Um, the NBA changed that to try to prevent teams from tanking at the end of the season. So the worst three records are going to have the same odds of winning the lottery. And then the odds decrease from there. Uh, over the final 11 teams. There are 14 teams that don't make the playoffs. They are the lottery teams. And of in those 14, through the draft lottery, will compete for, I say compete, they'll be drawn for the top four spots. And then it would go in order after that. So, you know, that last night's win doesn't help the Wizards. They were the seventh worst team in the league before last night. And now they're tied for ninth. You know, they were just two and a half games away from being the fifth worst team in the league, and now they are just two games away from being the 11th worst. Translation, last night's three-point win in Phoenix didn't help their lottery odds. It hurt them. Uh, I've mentioned uh, Jabari Parker in recent recent weeks only to say that um, I've really been blown away, uh, impressed with his explosiveness as a scorer. He had his best night last night, 28 points, 15 rebounds, three assists, one turnover. I don't know what they're going to do with him. They didn't bring Parker and Portis in for Otto Porter to sign Jabari Parker to a long-term deal, but he's been impressive. Uh, Meantime, by the way, uh, totally switching subjects and getting off the Wizards, which is a killer uh, to be talking too much about the Wizards. The team's owner, Ted the Bookie Leonsis, made what we've all known for a while official. It's what's excited him more than anything else in his life right now. He was giddy talking about how he's going to open up a sports book that will be accessible from inside Capital One Arena and from outside of it. Uh, most people think it's going to be that green turtle spot, um, that that will be turned into a sports book, but that was not confirmed yesterday. yesterday. This is his baby right now. Legal sports betting allowing him to be one of the cool kids by providing sports betting, you know, Vegas style uh, in his arena. He can't wait for this. He can't give you a winning NBA team to spend your money on, but he's going to give you a chance to lose your money at his sports book. That's for sure. 
his enthusiasm over this has been off-putting to me, as you know. And I think a lot of people that don't have the naivete that he has when it comes to the pitfalls of sports gambling. I mean, he's already been out there saying, essentially, that the smart kids who haven't had access to gambling are going to take the house down with all their data. You know, the data can be crunched by some of these really smart kids in a way that they'll give, you know, they'll have advantages over betters in the past. I mean, it's irresponsible, really, to promote. Um, But I don't think he knows any better. I don't think he's doing it with sinister motives, really. I think he really believes it. I've said this before. I've lived it. And by the way, from both sides of it, I'll leave it at that. But a lot of my friends who live in you know, warm tropical places in the Caribbean and have for the last 20 to 25 years, and they've been on the right side of the sports betting relationship, uh, they get a good laugh out of people like Ted. They would stand in line to take his action and the action of all of his stat geek friends. Trust me, if you think you've got a system to take down the house, think again. It ain't happening. Uh, But anyway, uh, Ted's a businessman. He's been very good. He has been very good at creating really, really good and exciting game day environments. That's undeniable. He's got a championship hockey team. I just wish he'd be as excited about trying to do the same thing for his NBA team that he's trying to do with the sports book. It just seems to me he's more excited about that than fixing his NBA team. Uh, Enough about that. Uh, The Cardinals, uh, according to reports, want a first-round pick for Josh Rosen. There are teams that have been interested, uh, that have been interested in a second-round pick. They want something more. They want a first-round pick. As far as the Redskins are concerned, I've said this before, I think it's really simple. You include him on your 2019 draft board. You slot him as if he is a college player coming out. You evaluate him. You put him on your draft board. If he's the 15th best player or higher on your board, you make the trade. If he isn't, then you don't make the trade. I'd make it that simple. If he's the 24th player rated player on your board and you can trade back and get the 24th pick, then trade that pick. But it's real... Maybe I'm oversimplifying this. I'd put him on the 2019 draft board. Where does he rank right now among all the players coming out? Uh, well, you know, Kyle and Doug and and Bruce come back uh, with each other and they say, hey, we got him at 27th. Well, we're not giving up our first-round pick for him then. We're not giving up number 15 for him. Or we've got him at 8th. Oh, well, then we can give up the 15th and we feel like it's value. I, I don't think it should be that much harder. Maybe I'm missing something. He's on a rookie deal for three more seasons, and then there's an option for a fourth year, so that's attractive. He'll come in here for training camp or anywhere for training camp uh, a bit more ready to compete for a starting job because he's had a year in the NFL uh, at at quarterback. Um, There are a couple of things that may keep you from making a deal if you're the Redskins, even if he is a top 15 player on your board. You may love the quarterbacks in 2020 even more. You know, you may think that in 2020, your second-round quarterback possibility is a higher-rated quarterback than Rosen at 15. Um, The other thing you would think about if you're being realistic, you know, truly realistic about the team situation, which they're not usually, is whether or not Josh Rosen would be easy to sell to a new head coaching candidate next year. Because if you're being realistic, 
then there is a chance Jay Gruden may not be here next year. And you may have to attract a new head coach. Would Josh Rosen do that? Some of the other things I think you you think about. That's not the way they're thinking, of course. Um, even if Jay's thinking that this could be his last year, I don't think they're thinking uh, that way. They think they're close. Bruce, you know, Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder believe that 2019 is the year that if they stay healthy and that that if they stay healthy and they get all those players back from injured reserve, they think that 2019 could be their breakout year with a big nine and seven record and a wild card berth. You know, that's what they think. And if they do, I promise you, if they go 9-7 and seven and make a wild card, they will act like they were geniuses all along and we just couldn't see it. How about this story from 106.7 The Fan yesterday? It was Chris Russell on Chad Dukes' show uh, yesterday afternoon answering the following question from Dukes. Uh, Dukes asked Russell, is Jay Gruden frus- frustrated? Frustrated, I said. Uh, Russell. Chris Russell, friend of mine. Love love Chris. I do. Chris answered, quote, yes. And he's come out, Jay, he's come out guns ablazing in some ways. From the way it was described to me yesterday, me being Chris Russell, by a source that is very familiar with Jay, Chris Russell says, he doesn't give a bleep right now about what he says and what people think about him. He feels he's going to be ultimately the one that sacrificed and Bruce is going to keep his job and Eric Schaefer, rightfully so, is going to keep his job. Guess who else is going to keep his job, Chris Russell said yesterday. That is frustrating uh, Jay Gruden. Quote, Doug Williams, and that's a problem too. I think that Jay feels that Doug is walking around with like this protectant on him that he's impervious to suffering the ultimate fate and he's supposedly in charge of personnel, right? And Jay's point is, Chris Russell continues, wait a second, I'm the head coach and I have a share of the burden and a share of the responsibility, but damned if you're going to blame me all for it when I'm not making all of these decisions, when I'm not in as much control of the bottom line decisions. Like, for instance, Jamison Crowder. Jay desperately wanted to keep Jamison Crowder. Jay's absolu- Jay absolutely would have kept Jamison Crowder if it was truly up to Jay. It was not. Closed quote. Good stuff from Russell yesterday. I have no idea if he's right about all of that. I don't. I think that he's right about the general feeling of at least some frustration on Jay's part. But Jay, and I've mentioned this multiple times over the last few months, he's not going to do anything to risk the remaining contract money. He's not. He is go along to get along, as I've said in the past. Bruce hired him. He may not think Bruce is the genius that Bruce thinks he is. I'm pretty sure Jay is convinced that Bruce isn't the genius that Bruce thinks he is. But I don't know that there's animosity between the two. In fact, I would doubt it. I would doubt that there's real animus between the two. So what do we know about the Redskins here in late March? Because it is rumor, speculation, it's the season for all of that. You know, as we head towards the draft at the end of next month. I mean, some of these stories are legitimate. Some of them pure speculation. Some of them dead wrong. What do we actually know to be true 
about the Redskins right now. I was thinking about this after reading the Russell quotes from the uh, Chad Duke show yesterday. I made a list of things that we actually know to be true about the Redskins right now. And it's a high-level list because I'm not going to get into position battles and what they're going to do in the draft. We've got plenty of time for that. I made a high-level list here just to make sure all of the day-to-day stuff in stories and speculation isn't clouding the big picture. Because we can become, as a fan base, those of us that are still paying attention, we can become so immersed in the latest tweet or radio appearance or something that's said on a podcast, and I'll take some of the blame for that. We do that so often that we sometimes forget in the moment the big picture, the what we know to be true. So here is a big picture list of the things that we know for nearly 100% from from nearly 100% to be true. All right, here's the list. Number 1. The team right now on paper has lots of needs. On offense in particular, they do not have an upper half of the league starting quarterback on their roster. They don't And they likely won't even have one if they draft somebody or if they trade for Josh Rosen. It's a team that on paper is lacking offensively, as it was last year. There are a few good young players on defense that give you some hope. But what we know right now is that at best, on paper, the Redskins at best are the third best team in the division. That may be optimistic, but at best the third best team in the division on paper, and they are at best the 12th best team out of 16 teams in the NFC, at best. Their over-under season win total right now for 2019 is six, six and a half. That seems to be right, seems to be fair to me. We know anything can happen in the NFL year to year and often does, but right now what we know is that their roster, their coaching staff, at least for betting purposes, is a 6-7 to win team on paper. I think that we know that to be true. I think that big picture, that's one of the things we know. That right now on paper, this appears to be a team that is 6-7 to wins. Next on the, things, uh, on the list of things that we know. High-level list. We know that they've got a front office that is delusional about the state of their franchise. We know that. We all know that. Anybody that's reasonable understands that Bruce Allen has said he believes the team is close and believes his fan base last year was expressing disappointment with the team's results, but mostly because the team had all those injuries. He believes that the fan base is with him, that they're upset and they're disappointed, but it's because of the injuries. He doesn't seem to realize that his and the owner's mere presence with the record they have over the years, has driven fans away for good and others away until he leaves in particular. He seems to believe that the only game that wasn't packed with diehard Redskin fans was the Eagle game at the end of the year. I mean, seriously, he thinks that. He's either being dishonest or he's just hoping the rest of us didn't notice the half-empty stadium for the opener, home opener against the Colts or the two-thirds filled stadium in late November when the team was 6-3 and three in first place and playing Houston. I think he thinks we didn't notice that. 
he either thinks we're stupid or not paying attention to the fact that the Cowboys games here locally outdrew the Redskins games on TV here in Washington. And when they had a huge Monday night game in Philadelphia in early December for a share of first place on Monday night football, nobody watched it. The ratings locally were the worst we've ever seen for a game of that stature. Ever. So they are delusional about the state of their franchise right now. Or dishonest. One of the two. Uh, The third thing on my list of things that we know. High-level things that we can be comfortable that we have a good grasp on right now. They've got a front office that is at the very least slightly detached from each other and slightly detached from the coaching staff. I think we know that. Doug Williams is out there saying things that he has either had to apologize for, like in the case of Reuben Foster, or he has gotten scolded for because he was inaccurate. Meantime, Jay says they're definitely considering a quarterback in the draft, while Bruce says not necessarily. Now, I'm I'm reasonable here. Some of these may be mistakes, honest mistakes, in public communication. I'm open to the possibility of some of that. But does anybody really think that when Jay lets slip out at the end of the season that he thinks it's important that personnel and coaching staff be on the same page, that there wasn't something to that? Of course there was. And is it better than it was? I think Jay has input, not final say. I think Jay may have more input right now than in recent years, but far from the final say. I think some of the coaching staff decisions reflect that more than anything else, that Jay's input hasn't necessarily been taken um, that seriously when it comes to some of the coaching staff decisions. I do not know about the Jamison Crowder thing. That was news to me. I had not heard anything about that. That's the high-level list of the things we know. Just wanted to clear it up with all the day-to-day stuff, the reports, the tweets, everything that comes out, the different interviews. I, we, we should not let the day-to-day cloud the big picture all right we know that this isn't a team right now that's very good on paper it's got some good young players on defense John Allen Deron Payne Landon Collins they they all three should be good all right they've got some young players on offense like Brandon Sheriff that you feel pretty good about you know Trent's really good but he's not always totally healthy we're not really sure about anything else though you can't be sure about Geis at this point Adrian Peterson Peterson was great last year, but he's 34 this year. You don't have a receiver or a tight end that you can be confident con- confident about. Excuse me. You're short at least one guard and definitely depth along the offensive line. You know, we know the team isn't a contender on paper. We know that. Big picture, the team on paper is not an NFC contender. It's not an NFC East contender. It's not an NFC contender. Doesn't mean that something couldn't happen to change that. They draft the next Patrick Mahomes, and it's the NFL. We know that. But we know that they've got a ton of holes. We also know the front office is weak, the coaching staff is average, and we know that the fan base is mostly either angry or completely checked out, not disappointed. They can talk about the fan events that they'll hold in the offseason, the draft day party, and they can try to get you excited about Case Keenum and Landon Collins, and they may add another quarterback through the draft or via trade to try to sell you that all is well, but it's not all well. It's a franchise big picture as we speak today in big trouble, which is a spot they are used to. 
Now, um, there are a couple things that we don't know, like high-level things we don't know. I'll list those real quickly. We don't know the real reason Bruce Allen is still running the franchise. I mean, we're speculating. My speculation is that he's heavily involved in the stadium talks, new stadium talks, and he is, for all intents and purposes, cover for Dan Snyder. He's, he's been the voice for Dan Snyder, organizationally, league meetings, etc. Uh, but we don't know for sure why Bruce Allen is still in the organization. Um, we don't know for sure the level of Jay's frustration. Is he really frustrated and ready to bust? Or is he just occasionally frustrated about certain things? Not sure, really. I don't think he was thrilled with some of the staff decisions. I bet he won't be thrilled with every personnel decision because those decisions, as mentioned, aren't solely his to make. Kyle, Doug, and Bruce. They may select a player or sign a player he doesn't love. But Jay's level of frustration I'm not entirely sure. I don't think anybody really is entirely sure. I've heard lots of things. Many of those things conflict with each other. I would say one thing for nearly sure. I think Jay believes that 2019 could be his last in Washington. I believe he thinks he better win. But then again, I thought the same a year ago, and nothing happened. There was this Gruden quote from the other day that Kime wrote about uh, early this morning. It was part of a larger conversation about adding a young, uh, a young quarterback in the draft, and Gruden talked about it. And he, he said this one thing that I wanted to read because um, I found it interesting. He said, quote, if you have a number one guy and you draft a guy and he's in competition with one or two other guys, then it becomes harder for him to, to develop and see where he's at. I never like to have two-man competitions, and I really don't want to have a three-man competition. That's really hard just because the reps are so few and far between for these guys. But if it's something we have to do, then we have to do it. Closed quote. That's an interesting quote from Jay Gruden. I didn't see that the other day. I saw it in Kime's column this morning. It says to me that Jay Gruden wouldn't necessarily be thrilled with a first-round quarterback or a trade for Rosen. Hell, he may not be thrilled with Case Keenum. Or if he is, he may be ready to move on from, you know, his Tommy son, Colt McCoy. He's feeling pressure to produce a winning team this year. And he's telling you, I think, that it's not ideal to have competition during this offseason or in training camp to resolve the quarterback situation. He wants to have a quarterback that gets all the reps. He thinks that's their best opportunity to produce offensively. Now, he had Alex Smith last year for all of the reps, and it was a disaster. You know, Cooley's breakdown of the first down offense and second, and Jay spoke to it the other day. It just wasn't good enough at the position or offensively as a whole. Part of that is on the lack of a true receiver that could get open, that could get separation. Part of that's on the play calling and the scheme. Part of that was on Alex Smith. It just didn't work, and they had a quarterback for the whole offseason leading into last year. But I thought that quote was interesting from Gruden. I think it's telling uh, to a certain degree. Uh, one other, uh, two other things real quickly before we get to Tommy. Um, one NFL, and then we'll touch on the Sweet 16 a bit. Do you see what Bengals owner Mike Brown said about the new rule uh, allowing replay to be used for pass interference penalties? Qu- he, they were the one team, I'm sorry. The Bengals were the one team that voted against it. Mike Brown was the one vote against Uh, It was a 31-to-1 vote uh, in the league. That's rare, by the way. Uh, He said, quote, The reason we are against it 
is that it interrupts the game, closed quote. (laughs) It's putting it pretty simply. I think that says it all. And if you listened yesterday, you know that I, I, I'm against it, but you know, I'm not like vehemently, you know, arguing that they shouldn't do it. I just think that they may have overlooked a couple of things. And that's crazy to to assume that they may have overlooked some things. They have so many people experienced in the room thinking about these things. So my sense of it is they did consider these things and just didn't consider them to be much of an impediment to this. But I feel that there is a chance that the final two minutes of halves and games will be interrupted more than usual, more than before. You get a lot of passes thrown at the end of halves and games, close games in particular. There's contact on a lot of throws. All right, Think about every throw and catch. A lot of them include contact, offensive contact, defensive contact. If it's not flagged or if it is flagged, in the final two minutes, New York's going to review them all. Al Riveron's going to review them all. Final two minutes, only booth reviews, no coach challenges. Is every throw with contact going to be reviewed? How are you going to determine which get reviewed and which don't? I mentioned yesterday, Hail Mary throws. Almost always on that play, there is contact. It is a throw to nobody specifically more times than not. It's a jump ball free-for-all, and there's contact on that play. Are we going to wait until Al Riveron decides whether or not there was defensive pass interference allowing the offensive team to put the ball at the one-yard line with an untimed down? Are we going to wait five minutes at the end of halves for that? I suggested that this new rule, pass interference calls or non-calls being reviewable, only be challengeable by the coaches, including in the final two minutes. I don't want New York looking at every single throw in the final two minutes of a half or a game. I think, you know, clearly the pass interference rule has to be well-defined. But I just think it could result in too much interruption. I do. It may not, but I can, I, I mean, just think about end of halves, end of games, lots of passes, contact on passes, are we going to review all of them? I think if the coach is forced to challenge that particular, not not a scoring play, not an interference, not a uh, an interception or a fumble or catch, no catch, I'm talking about pass interference, called or uncalled, should only be something a sideline, a coach, can challenge. Too much interruption, potentially, uh, if New York is allowed to do it. By the way, that's the rule. That's what they're going to do. Lastly, before we get to Tommy, Sweet 16 starts tonight. Four games, um, four quick thoughts on the games, and then I will give you my smell test right now. Smell test did pretty well last week, uh, certainly over the weekend. Uh, The first uh, thought is on Purdue, Tennessee. I'm a big Matt Painter fan. I am really rooting for Purdue. He has not gotten past this round, the Sweet 16. This is not his best team. All right, but it is his fifth Sweet 16 team. This is the fifth time to the Sweet 16 for a Matt Painter Purdue team. I'd love to see him get past this round. Tennessee's good, really good, with athletes and a hell of a coach in their own right, and Rick Barnes. Grant Williams is a closer. All right, I told you guys about him in early January. He's the guy that if this game is close, he can close it out by himself down the stretch. That's advantage Tennessee. Purdue has Carson Edwards. If he's on, like he was against Villanova, where he scored 42 points 
in the game on 9 of 16 from behind the arc. If he is on, and he's not always on, advantage Purdue. I would think Tennessee's not going to give Edwards much room. Purdue has more than just Edwards. They've got a big guy in harms. They've got Klein, another shooter. Eastern's an athlete. They can absolutely win this game. I think they will. Probably my biggest root uh, in terms of cheering for and hoping for in the Sweet 16 is Purdue beating Tennessee. I want Matt Painter to get his due. Coaches have have told uh, last week Jeff Jones was on the show, um, the old Dominion coach, and he they were playing Purdue, and he he said Matt Painter is one of the most underrated coaches in the country. He never gets his due, and I I completely agree with that. I can't wait to watch Virginia and Oregon tonight. Two very well coached teams again. Oregon's rolling. They've won ten in a row, and only one of those games was close. I mean, they are they do not think they can lose right now. And by the way, they they may have the sickest athlete left in the draw in Kenny Wooten. This guy is he's got hops like you read about. He is a shot blocker like you would not believe. Virginia's gonna have to deal with him as a shot blocker and as a guy that can create second and third chances offensively. Rebounding's gonna be huge in this game. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. I'm rooting for UVA. I want them to get, I want Tony Bennett also to get past. He's been to the elite eight, not the final four. I'd love to see Virginia get to the final four. Plus I picked them in my bracket to win it all. Uh, Gonzaga, Florida state. Oh my God. Uh, athleticism, size, length. Uh, I think Gonzaga gets revenge from last year. And then you've got Michigan, Texas tech. I think the first team to 63 wins that game Two great defensive teams. Uh, the smell test last week was 10 and eight overall for the first two rounds. Last Saturday, Sunday, five and one. I went four and0 on Saturday, one and one on Sunday. I've got three plays right now for you. The first one is Purdue plus one and a half. Uh, the public is on Tennessee laying the point and a half. higher seated team. they got through Iowa. Um, they've been you know ranked number one at various times this year. Uh, the public likes Tennessee. I like Purdue plus the point and a half. Uh, believe it or not, the public really likes Florida State, even though Gonzaga's laying eight in this game right now. I like Gonzaga laying the eight. I think Gonzaga is – this should be a crazy game in terms of the athleticism and the, the, the pace in which the game potentially gets played at. Florida State has the ability to grind you. I mean, they do. Um, I like Gonzaga. It seems like a lot of points. The public thinks Florida State plus the points is the right side. I'll take Gonzaga as the favorite and lay the eight. And then uh, finally, believe it or not, the public is on Oregon in the UVA-Oregon game. That number is eight right now. Give me UVA minus the eight. I actually feel less confident um, on the, on the three picks, uh, the least confident about the UVA game in terms of an, analyzing the matchup, because I actually think Oregon has a chance to keep this thing close, but the public is lined up on Oregon plus the eight. Uh, give me UVA minus eight. So the smell test, Purdue plus a point and a half, Gonzaga minus eight, UVA minus eight. Two favorites, one dog. Uh, we'll give you another smell test tomorrow. 
Quick word on Window Nation. Window Nation right now has a great deal going. Buy two windows, get two windows free, and buy a house of windows for just $69 a month. On the buy two, get two free, there's no limit. So if you need 20 windows, you'll pay for 10 and get 10 free. Harley and Aaron are two of the best entrepreneurs I have ever met. They are smart. They are uh, they, they built a company basically from scratch into the fifth largest window retailer in the United States. They are customer focused. Right now, 97% of their customers are satisfied. In the last year, 99.5% of all windows installed did not require follow-up service. In the window business, that's incredible. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Tell them I told you to call. If you aren't sure that you need windows, but you think you might, Call them up, mention my name, they will come out to your home and they will give you a free in-home estimate and they'll give you a price quote that is valid for 60 days. No risk to just call them up, have them come out and tell you what you need. And they're not going to tell you, oh, you need to replace every window in the house if you don't. They'll go room by room and they'll look at each room and they'll say, in this particular room, you need new windows, you're good. In the next room, you don't have to change those out. Uh, mention my name at 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and you'll get a free in-home estimate with a price valid for 60 days. Don't forget, buy two windows, get two windows free. No limit on that. And buy a house of windows for just $69 a month. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. All right, let's bring in Tommy, who is down at the stadium, uh, ready for opening day. The Nats open up today against the Mets. Um, they get three with the Mets this weekend, and then Philly comes to town early next week, and people are already uh, getting jacked about Bryce Harper's return. And I want to start there, Tommy, um, as it relates to the Nats. What do you think the perception of the Nats are around the league, fans, media, teams? What is the perception of the team without Bryce Harper for the first time in eight years? Inside the industry of baseball, front offices, players, I think they, they think the Nationals made the right move. I think they think the Nationals are a better team this year than they were last year with Bryce Harper. That doesn't mean they're a better team without Bryce Harper. If you add Bryce Harper to all the additions they made this, this offseason, then they're a better team than they are now. But this team this year is better than last year's team with Bryce Harper. I think that's the perception in the industry. I think fans, uh, you know, who didn't pay close attention to the Nationals last year and are caught up in the Bryce Harper uh, hype think that the Nationals probably are not as good without Bryce Harper. Do you think they're better without Bryce Harper? I think they have a better team this year. Uh, than they did last year with Bryce Harper. Again, if you added Bryce Harper to the, all the moves they made this year, they'd be a better team than they are now. But they have the talent. They have the best talent in the league across the board, in, in the division, the NL East, when you add in their starting pitching. Uh, it's, it's deeper than everybody's, including the Mets, who have very good starting pitching. And today we're going to see King Kong versus Godzilla uh, Jacob DeGrom versus Max Scherzer. Yeah, hell of an opening day matchup, pitching matchup. Um, will will the Nats feel a hit, a business hit, Tommy? Uh, you know, attendance for 2019, 
t- television ratings, everything that you would 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 put into the equation of uh, that, that that's labeled as revenue, will they, will they feel a hit with no Bryce Harper? I suspect merchandise wise, they've got to feel a little bit of a hit. I mean, Harper was a merchandise machine, and I don't know how much of their revenue is that. But I would suspect that would be down. Uh, they get off to a good start. I don't think attendance is, is going to take any hit at all. Uh, and what has happened out here in this area around the ballpark, I'm, I'm still marveling because I hadn't been down here in a while. How many people live down here now? Oh, yeah. And are probably going to make the ballpark, you know, part of their, you know, semi-regular routine at the very least. So they have a built-in audience down here. Attendance-wise, if they don't tank early, I think they'll be fine. And then the television ratings, they may take a little bit of a hit without Harper initially. But, again, baseball, more than basketball, uh, is not necessarily star-driven. It's wins and losses that will eventually, you know, bring money into the cash register. What's the strength of this team? Is it its starting rotation? Yes, it is. Starting rotation, again, well, historically, when they've been good, their starting rotation has been what I've called their safety net. Uh, if they're not hitting well, if they're in a slump, the starting pitching will will win the three to two games, the three to one games, the two to one games. Uh, they didn't. Ha- they certainly didn't have that last year with a lot of their starters hurt. Uh, at one point, only Max Scherzer was the only real healthy starter they had. So their starting pitching. And what's going to help that is they've improved significantly defensively uh, with with better catching with Jan Gomes and Kurt Suzuki, a better second baseman uh, with Brian Dozier, and a better center fielder with Victor Robles, and when he comes back healthy, Michael A. Taylor. Does the team have a weakness? And if so, what is it? Well, it's probably the bullpen, which is like you know a lot of other teams. It could be power in the lineup, trying to make up the home runs that Bryce Harper hit. He's a 35-home run-a-season guy. They don't have that in their lineup now. They might have six or maybe seven guys with over 20 home runs. But, uh, you know, the power is probably going to be weakened a little bit, and the bullpen is is uncertain. Uh, You know, Trevor Rosenthal is coming off Tommy John surgery. He looks unbelievable in spring training, throwing over 100 miles an hour. But you don't know how how he's going to do. And you don't know how Davey Martinez will handle that bullpen. So the bullpen is always a question mark. But bullpens evolve over the course of a season. They could change. What could hurt the Nats this year is the learner's reluctance to add payroll to go over that luxury tax at the trading deadline. The Nationals made the right move halfway last year by not trading Bryce Harper uh, at the trading deadline. But if you weren't going to be sellers, then they should have been buyers. And they weren't that either. And that's what really hurt them. I mean, one of the reasons that they shouldn't have been sellers is that they were at the time still in a playoff race. I mean, it, it wasn't. Yes. You know, they weren't. They, they they weren't close that close to it, but they weren't out of it either. At the end of July no, last they were, year, they, um, they were five games out of the wild card last year. Right. I don't think you you make you 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 surrender the season then. But then, if you're going to do that, then you have to be willing to add the pieces that you think you need for the stretch run. And the learners, you know, they they couldn't pull the trigger either way. 
They couldn't figure out who they were, buyers or sellers. And not being buyers hurt them initially in the long run. In Dave Martinez's second year, first of all, and you probably don't remember because you can't remember that far back, um, but do you remember how you graded out Martinez in his first year? And then what are reasonable you know, expectations for him in year two? Where does he need to improve in particular? Well, he's on the hot seat, uh, at least perception-wise, uh, if you listen to the sheep. Uh, and he may be <laughs> on, on the well, hot yeah, seat. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're, not, you're not part of, of that herd, but do you, th- do you think he is on the hot seat in year two? And if so, why? Yeah, explain think, explain I, to people where his weaknesses were last year, because a lot of this sheep you know, outlined him in detail in terms of, of a lot of the in-game strategy mistakes he made during his first year. Okay, well, I don't think he made that many in-game strategy mistakes. I think uh, the bullpen, uh, the bullpen. There's not again for everyone who says he didn't manage the bullpen well. I challenge them to tell me the manager, the list of managers in baseball who manage their bullpen well. Joe Madden is a managing god, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen a manager manage their bullpen worse than what Joe Madden does. It is a very inexact science. Uh, again, I, I had a changed perception of what Dave Martinez did last year when I came to spring training this year. And it really struck me how woefully bad off they were when they left camp last year with two of their starters on one leg in Adam Eaton and, and uh, Daniel Murphy. And Murphy never really got healthy. The best he could do was, was play first base for them occasionally at the end of the year. And, again, I mean, when you've got good pitching and you don't have good defense to back it up, Bryce Harper in center field was a defensive liability because they didn't, they didn't have role plays to even call up last year because he was hurt. So I think the 82 wins that Dave Martinez got out of this team last year was a miracle, and I think he should have been patted on the back. I didn't think that at the end of last year. But after watching this team in spring and re- remembering – how, how bad off they were coming out of camp last year. It was, and, and here's the other thing that happened last year. The, the Phillies and the, and the Braves caught everybody by surprise. They kind of arrived a year earlier right. than people thought. Certainly and the Braves the did. Nats had tradition, yeah, and the Nats have traditionally, the, the feeling has been, well, they have enough talent. They just simply have enough talent to overcome their injuries. Well, they had to compete last year, and there wasn't enough talent then when they had stiff competition. One of the reasons it was easy for the Nationals to move on from Bryce Harper was the emergence of Juan Soto last year. How good is he? What are your expectations from him in his uh, second year? All-star. He'll be on the all-star team this year. He is such a smart young man, such a smart hitter at the plate, and so disciplined. I think you're you're just going to see improvement on last year's Really historic season for a 19-year-old kid. Uh, so I think they've got an all-star in Juan Soto. I think he's a guy who could, who maybe might make up that power, uh, that power, uh, you know, absence of, of Bryce Harper. He's a guy who could hit over 30 home runs o- over the course of the season. He wasn't a great defensive left fielder. He only played left field six times before he came up last year. Uh, so he should get better at that. But uh, I think he's going to have a big year. An injury this year they couldn't afford to overcome. Oh, 
Wow. Outside of that, starting that's pitching. A good one. Outside of starting pitching. I, I, outside of starting pitching, uh, well, they've got nobody to replace Anthony Rendon. Right. Uh, unless they call up, uh, uh, you know, T-Boom, their, their hot prospect, if Rendon gets hurt. But that's, that's a kid. You don't know how he's going to do. I mean, at second base, you could play Defoe, Wilmer Defoe, if, if uh, you know, uh, if, if they have an injury there. In Kendrick. the outfield, if Michael Taylor is healthy, they have uh, a fourth outfielder. Kendrick, when he's healthy, it's a little bit unnerving, the fact that Howie Kendrick and Michael A. Taylor are absent here on opening day and not healthy. That that's that's a little bit reminiscent of last year. That's right. not a good thing. Uh because they're both very valuable, Kendrick in particular, and hopefully those those don't turn out to be long term injuries. It, but Anthony Rendon is a guy they can't afford to lose. Is there a player on the roster that you think has a chance to have a big season that nobody else is talking about? Big season, it's hard for the fourth starting pitcher to have a big season, but Annabelle Sanchez is going to really surprise a lot of people. Uh, he, in, late in his career, he, he made the change from being a power pitcher to a finesse pitcher and really has mastered it last year. He, in a way, he's like Levon Hernandez. He can throw 15 different pitchers. He can, he, his, his, his ability to change speed. It's really uh, tremendous, and his command on those pitches is good. And like I said, he's the fourth starter. So, I mean, how much, you know, how big of a season can a fourth starter have? You know, maybe, you know, 14 wins or something like that. I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised at Annabelle Sanchez. I think he's going to be a really reliable pitcher for them. All right, how many wins this year for the Nats, and where do they finish in the National League East? I'm going to say 90 wins and they finish first. Uh, you know, a lot of people think 89 wins will win the division. Uh, and, you know, like this game today against the Mets, look, they play 162, and <laughs> yeah. I always love the Earl Weaver quote about baseball is when he says, this ain't football, we play this every day, you know, to give kind of perspective on wins and losses. Right. But every series against an NL East rival this year is going to be big. They're all going to be big. The Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, they're all big series. You want to win the series. You know, you don't have to win every game, but you want to win the series. And their first 11 games are against the Mets and the Phillies. Who ends up being the, the biggest competitor, the team that finishes second? Uh, I'm going to say the Braves again. You know, the Braves don't get any love. No. Even though they won the division last year uh, because their pitching is very suspect. But their young players who came through for them last year are going to be a year older and a year better. They added Josh Donaldson to their lineup, a big, powerful bat. And, uh, I, you know, I think the division champs are going to be the toughest matchup, the toughest battle for the Nats uh, to unseat them. Are they better than the Dodgers in the National League uh, or, or not? I think so. Okay. I think they are. So do you, you've got them in the World, I, I you have them in the are, world Series? Uh, no. No, they lose in the National League Championship Series. Two. And again, you know, that's just a guess. Two. I mean, like, God, they'll lose because they, they'll lose to the Dodgers. Oh, I just... You know, because better doesn't mean they win. Right. 
All right. Um, I mean, you know how random these playoffs are. I know they are. I know they are. The, 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 you know, the 162 proves something. The best of seven, which is a sliver of the 162, rarely really proves anything. Um, all right. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, the, Dod- the Dodgers will have been going, will have won the, you know, will be at their third straight NLCS championship series. And I think that counts for something where the Nats will be there for the first time. And experience matters in games like that. All right, enjoy the game today. Uh, maybe I'll see you tomorrow night down at the arena for the uh, Sweet 16. All right, boss. Take care. All right, thanks. Quick word about Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. Farish should be on your list if you're considering something new, especially a Chrysler Dodge Jeep or Subaru. They've got a Subaru dealership as well. Uh, Farish makes it easy for you. I've been good friends with Ralph Perkins and Kevin Farish for 11 years now. They're smart. They know what their customers want. They make it easy for you. And I promise you that if you give them a chance, they're not going to disappoint. Their sales teams experienced most of the sales reps at Farish. They've been there for 20 years. Their service department is the best. Mark runs a great service department. You're in and out quickly. Plenty of inventory on the lot right now. Whatever you're looking for, you'll likely find it in the make, model, and color and be able to drive it off the lot. Uh, Best rebates of the year on the Jeep Cherokee, Grand Cherokee, and Wrangler. Same goes for the Ram pickup. Go to FarishCars.com right now. Live inventory, live pricing, and their best deals at FarishCars.com. All right, let's bring in Scott uh, here to join us. We'll talk some hoops with uh, Scott, and we we'll, we got to go back to last weekend and talk about Maryland. Uh, first of all, the loss to LSU, your thoughts on that, and just the season overall. How would you describe it to somebody uh, who's a Maryland fan that didn't catch enough of it? Uh, the the end was absolutely devastating. Um, I'm still not over it. We Maryland should be playing Friday night against Michigan State in D.C. with Duke <laughs> yeah. a game away, and it should have been, it should have been, it should have been. But it didn't end that way. How would I describe the season to someone that didn't see it? Um, more more good than bad and more good than people expected, and yet somehow it still managed to be unsatisfying to Maryland fans. Was it unsatisfying to you? You're a Maryland fan. Well, the end was because I I thought they got screwed on a couple calls after they came back and erased a 15-point deficit to a team that's going to end up having to vacate these games someday. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's unsatisfying because they should be playing Friday night, um, you know. But I think taking on balance, uh, that that game against LSU, uh, when you play it back, uh, being down 15 and all that, like that, that was symptomatic of, of struggles they had falling behind. But the way they fought back, particularly those last five minutes, it was there were haymakers. I mean, I was proud of the effort. I just was incredibly disappointed that I, they lost a game that it felt like they could they could win. Um, but I mean, it wasn't like some that that game wasn't some drastic thud, you know. I mean, like the, it, the Nebraska game is the one that will always baffle me. Like I'll never understand how they played that way in the Big Ten tournament. But the LSU game was just heartbreaking. There's a difference to me. Yeah, I mean, I I said the other day, and I think we're saying the same thing. I said it was a good season. It wasn't a great season, and they can describe it, coaches, players, department. Any, they, any way they want, because they've got a lot more information than I do as a fan. But for me, it was a good season. It wasn't a great yeah. season. And Agreed. a great season for this particular group. Once we got into early January, I thought that this was a team 
whose upside was further than the first weekend of the tournament. And that's entirely fair. And as far as the tournament goes, and I realized this after spending far too much time watching every play of the last five minutes over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've, I all done, we've all done it, yep. Well, the, watching the Jalen Smith block up 64-62, that's a two-on-one break, and they call a foul, and it's absolutely not a foul. I don't want uh, you to do this. I, it's the Maryland thing to do to complain about the officiating and blame the, the officiating, and I'm, I'm not saying you're you're on the verge of doing that, but like three possessions earlier, Daryl Morcell raked Naz Reed over the arm, and it wasn't called right at the rim. Agreed, uh, and that's and that's entirely true. That's entirely true. Um, I'm I'm just talking about the one that would have benefited Maryland, Kevin. Um, waters uh, Waters didn't travel. You you do agree with that? No, right? no, 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 no. I don't. I don't want to hear that. That okay. I don't want to hear that. I I'm talking about just that incredible sequence of just. Yeah. It was a war in the paint where about five different things happened that resulted in Skylar Mays having a shot get blocked clean by Jalen Smith, and they called it a foul. I'm talking about that one. But here's what I'm getting at. I did. I, I dissected this like the Zapruder film, and and I'm heartbroken over the season ending on a two point loss. And then it, I had this epiphany. I didn't spend one second after the Belmont game thinking about how they felt, and I'm certain they did the exact same thing. They lost by two points. They had their best player cutting back door open for what could have been a game winning layup, but it didn't happen that way. And that's the tournament. Maryland won by two. Maryland lost by two, you know, Belmont season ended and then Maryland season ended. So it was, it was a heartbreak. Um, and, and it was a specific, like if you're playing in San Jose this week, who gives a crap, but it would have been in DC yeah. and you and I both know, you and I both know what it would have been. The scene would have been absolute mayhem. There's a lot of Virginia tech people there. The presence of Duke, the presence of a big 10 rival. I mean, it's a once in a lifetime thing. And, um, and it didn't happen. And that, really really sucks corvin has his face in his hands buried in his hands because that's all he wanted was friday night in capital one arena even if you know no matter what the result was against michigan state it would have felt like a totally different ending to the season had they played that game and and you know to your point it's the tournament it's a one and done environment i mean we think back to the most painful loss uh, i think of our of our maryland lifetime which was Corey lucius hitting that shot to end gravis vasquez's career and you had a player duck just you know yeah randomly duck if not the ball hits that dude in the head and and maryland moves on and probably goes on to the final four and maybe that that year plays Duke in the national championship game, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, but none of that happened. So here not, we sit. Um, the tournament. Well, actually, one other thing about Maryland. Uh, you're feeling right now about Fernando and Stick Smith. Who's back? Who isn't? I've I've operated all year under the idea that Bruno was going to go, and then he played his, himself into the uh, you know first team All Big Ten. And I just assume he's gone. Now, having said that, the, the, you know, the LSU game was a decent point. He went through a pretty decent stretch there late where he wasn't some dominant postman. Nope. Uh, in part because I think he could have shot more, and you and I both wish, wish he would have taken more you know, jumpers from the free throw line because he could do it. Anyway, I just have operated under the assumption all year that he's gone. Um, that's, could, could he benefit from another year? I, I'm, I'm certain he could, but I just – I've never thought he would come back all year. 
Jalen Smith isn't like the guy Mike Schmitz from ESPN, who is awesome if you don't follow him on Twitter or pay attention to him on any of the platforms of ESPN. He, who, he does a remarkable who? job. Who are you talking Mike about? Mike Schmidt. Never he, heard his name. Him and, him, well, you got to go follow him. Him and Jonathan Gavoni um, that do the Draft Express stuff. Schmitz is the dude that's all over the world following everybody. And they put out like a top 100. And they, 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 they like Jalen. Like they have him as like the 100th prospect. Uh, but ev- everyone thinks the talent's obvious, but the lack of strength throughout the entire season was obvious. Now, our two games in the tournament where he showed those flashes of his talent enough for him to go, I don't believe so. And I've operated under the premise all year that that his family and, you know, and his group, whatever that even means anymore, like they they get that. Um, And and I've, I've thought all year that they, that he'd be back and that Bruno would be gone. and And I still feel that same way. Is his last name the baseball player Mike Schmidt, or it's S C H M I? I think it's with a Z. Schmitz with a Mike Schmitz. I think it's T uh-huh. Z. You'll find him. Um, he's worth following. He's awesome. I mean, for for a college basketball guy, like he is so so well respected, so well traveled. Yeah, like, I just he, found yeah, he's well. Check him out. Yeah, you'll you'll get great content from that guy. All right, uh, let's talk about the tournament. Have him on your show, by the way, he's awesome. Um, I will definitely. Um, you think it's a good thing or not that the first weekend of the tournament didn't produce a ton of upsets? And and really, uh, you know, outside of the two Maryland games and maybe one or two others, obviously the Duke-UCF game, not a whole hell of a lot of dramatic endings. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was not what you expect. Um, but, I mean, oh, Cowherd always said this line when he worked, you know, uh, here and, and, and with Fox, which which I agree with, that everybody loves the upset until the next round. You're like, oh yeah, that team that we really liked watching is gone. Like the UCF Duke game, I couldn't have rooted harder for UCF. And this is not not an anti Duke <laughs> thing at all because I like watching Zion play just like everybody. It's just in that moment, I thought they were they deserved it. I thought they played. I thought better yeah. with not as much talent and and watching them play with that level of heart and fight. I just wanted to see it rewarded. But that, that said, in that moment, that's what I wanted. But then, like, no Duke the rest of the way would have been like, oh, that's kind of a bummer for the storyline. So I think what we got denied last week in terms of really great games sets us up to have potentially a tremendous, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Because you've got, you've got the teams left that, that I thought all year would be part of it. I thought it was going to be real chalky. And now you get those teams on the, on the floor with each other. So, you know. It wasn't great, but I think it. I think it sets it up now to potentially be awesome. Duke's still the favorite. Do you think they should be? You think? No. They're, yeah, me neither. I don't think they're. I don't. I just don't think what they, they get like three guys. You don't have to guard. I mean, that doesn't work a lot of the time. The the, the, the issue for you though is that the one guy you have to guard, you can't because Zion's just gonna. He's gonna get his. Um, but I don't. I don't. I just don't think. I mean, if they are, it's. They're, it's far from feeling like a sure thing or overwhelming. I mean, they had they had a, pr- a decent stretch in their first game where they were okay but not great, and you know they had to survive gravity uh, to beat UCF. I, I don't. Do you think they're going to win four games right now? No, I, don't. I didn't think so before the tournament started that they could win that they would win six, and I don't think they're going to win four now. And I think it's beyond. 
I, I, I don't. I wouldn't view them as a team where you don't have to guard three players. I don't think that's accurate. What I do think is accurate is that they are not a team that defends well across the board. You know, Trey Jones can guard, but you can score against them. You know, and and, uh-huh. and UCF proved that you can score against them, and if you're aggressive against them, you know, you you can you can have a game in which you score. 80, you know, 75 to 80 points, and they are vulnerable to a bad shooting night. So Without I, a doubt. I mean, I could, I could easily see Michigan State bullying them around on Sunday at Capital One Arena. I could see them easily losing to North Carolina um, in a final or Gonzaga. You know, I, I think there are a lot of teams that could beat Duke uh, in in the in the in the draw. What's what are the game? Is there a game or two in in tonight's four and tomorrow night's four that you're looking forward to more than any other? I mean. I don't feel like there's any one that's a standalone because I'm interested in all of them. You know, the, the, the Gonzaga things, I, I've liked them a lot all year. I know they had a bad game against St. Mary's, so that made people that don't watch them all year decide that they sucked, which was just dumb because uh, they're really good. But, like, Florida State has that rare combination of athletes and depth that's not easy to deal with. Uh, they beat them last year, right? Yep. So I, I look at that game as – as a giant um, sort of magnifying glass on Gonzaga, because if they win, I think I think what it says about them is that they absolutely. I think I think they they whether they are or they aren't that that makes them like the favorite in my mind because uh, I picked them to win to begin with. But now it's like I don't know if they can survive tonight. Uh, I think people have real doubts about Virginia, um, the, their ability to survive. Maybe not this game, but the next one. Um, and I, and I, I like them a lot. I think I think you know they got bullied by Florida State in the game, and then they looked bad for ten minutes against Gardner Webb or twenty minutes, and then that that creates real doubts. I, I, I just to me like I'll have the TV on from seven thirty until we go on the TV tonight, and every game is is I'm interested in because I think you you really don't have any bad matchups to me. I, is there one you want, that you think is better than another? I, I am really, because you know how big of a, what a big fan of Matt Painter I am. He's never Painter, been beyond yeah. the Sweet 16. I like him tonight as a smell test pick. I gave him out. Uh, the world's on Tennessee. Um, they I, sure are. I, I like their chances tonight. I don't know if I like their chances uh, on Saturday. I think Auburn, North Carolina could be a phenomenal game to watch um, Auburn, you know what Pearl said the other night, by the way? Uh, you probably didn't see this. He came on, and I was, I, I said, you know, you, you, they want to do the same thing you want to do. I said, is that like, does that excite you or scary? He goes, I don't know, just take the over. <laughs> like, Bruce, wait, Bruce Pearl said that to you? On the show. Oh, I said, really? That's the first. I've never had a coach give out a selection, <laughs> give out a side. What, what is and, the total? It's got to be in the 160s between those two. It was 160 when it came out. It was 161 the day he came on, and then by the next day, it was 165. Are I'm you, like, he's moving lines. Are you serious? He, I'm not joking. Did, the, did it really shoot up after he said that? I mean, it shot. I'm not saying that it's cause and effect. Well, there, that, what else would have been the cause happen. and effect? What else would have been the cause I don't know. The coach came on the show and said, <laughs> bet the, uh, take the, he didn't say bet, he said take the over. And I just started laughing because I've never, as I said, I've never had a coach give you a lead on a side. Aub- but, I mean, he was spe- he was speaking just about the fact that, that that they, his team, Auburn, loves to do the same thing Carolina yeah, does. Yeah, they do. And, and they just, it was funny because he said something about, you know, if we can just avoid getting, like, you know, just physically bullied or this or that. And then when we, when we got done taping, I said, they're not going to bully you. Like, that's not their MO. I said, they want to play pretty. They don't, their big guys aren't big 
brooding, like you know, uh, physical guys. They're more finesse. And he's like, yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's true. I don't know, but anyway, I, I, that that game seems great. And just back to your Purdue thing, like I, I love Painter too. I think he's awesome. But that game they had, that shooting game they had against Villanova <laughs> felt like an outlier. Like Carson Edwards is awesome, but he has had a bunch of like eight for thirty nights. That, that game against Nova, they just couldn't miss. So to me, like he, as, I mean, and this is no great sort of epiphany, but I mean, if he shoots it great, they'll have a chance. If he has one of those bad shooting nights, they're going to get run. I just don't think they're done. Uh, you're you're so right. I mean, he's had six for twenty three, you know, seven for twenty nine nights, and last week he was on fire. I mean, that was the best what, individual at forty two. And the funny thing is, you and I were on the phone, and we were both like, "Why is he still in the game?" Well, yeah, he was still in the game, late shooting free throws. I don't know why he was, but they're not just him. You know, they they have other players, but uh, Grant Williams, sure. Grant Williams might be my favorite player left in the draw. I love him, and I know a lot of people don't think he's going to be a, a really good NBA player. I do. He can score. It doesn't matter about his athleticism. He is a guy that will figure out a way to get eighteen and ten in the NBA. May not be. I I don't. You know what? I don't know. I don't know who will guard. But you know what? It doesn't seem like anybody guards anybody in the NBA anymore. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, The Texas Tech. It's one sixty-five right now. The total in the Auburn North Carolina game, and the total tonight in the Michigan Texas Tech game. And I just said about. Uh, yeah, I said about a half an hour ago, I said first team to 63 wins this game, and, and sure enough, I just checked it, the uh, total's 125. 125. Now, the UVA-Oregon total is 119 and a half. I gave out, wow. I, I gave out tonight Purdue, Virginia, and Gonzaga. Those are three big – the public is on Florida State, Tennessee, and Oregon tonight. I actually think Oregon can play Virginia tough. But I'm going to be on Virginia. Did did you? Yeah. Did, have you looked at the board or not? Uh uh-uh. uh no. I, I I knew Tennessee. I knew I knew people like Tennessee. I hadn't I hadn't looked at it yet. But I, I Oregon is really they're spooky man because like they're that team that were they they were awful and in the last three weeks they found it. Kenny Wooten for Oregon to me was the most fun player I think to watch all of last weekend. It felt like he alley you dunked everything that uh, Pritchard threw up, and the poor kids from Oregon were, were, were just petrified by the time the game got to an end that they just didn't want to get another shot blocked into the band. I, that said, Virginia, as we know, they have an ability to just, like a boa constrictor, just kind of slowly and methodically squeeze the life out of you. But that, to me, is just such an interesting contrast of, uh, of styles. But I, I think you and me both like Virginia more than maybe the, the public does. Uh, yeah, I mean, I Oregon was impressive for I mentioned uh, for that very reason. I mean, Wooten was just the best athlete, the the freakish freakish of of athletes I saw all last weekend. And it's not like I watched a lot of Oregon this year. But to your point, everything that went up, he was trying to throw back into the third row, and it was impact. Yeah, it impacted it, both of those games. Um, that they were in, uh, including the Irvine game. Remember, Irvine came out. I don't know if you were watching this, but they came out fourteen nothing, wasn't it? Yeah, they came out down fourteen at half and were up three or four. You know, on a big run to start the second half. But um, yeah, I, I, these the best part of all. You know, of chalk. Other than you know, we I would have preferred you know one six seed in the Sweet Sixteen, <laughs> Mar- Mar- Maryland. That would have been nice. Yeah. But even Maryland yeah. would have felt a little bit like chalk. 
Um, but I, I, I kind of like, I kind of like what we're gonna watch here uh, the last two nights. Um, I know you have to run, and I'll just save this for next week. And I'm gonna go watch it. I have not seen it, but a lot of people told me to watch your thing on Izzo. Um, which I haven't watched. Tommy and I got into a big argument the other day. You know, uh, well, he disagrees with Tommy. Disagrees with me because he's very anti-Izzo yelling, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you and well, I, you know, you, you yeah. and I talked about this anyway. But I, I have not seen what you did. I'm going to go back and look at it. Unless you want to summarize it real quickly, because I know you have to go. Well, I mean, the gist of what I said was that I think it speaks to sort of this societal issue of no one wants to have anyone you know, say a mean word to him. And this turned, this turned into the, like, to me, this is a matter of accountability. And by the way, we had Cassius Winston on later this week after I did that bit. And he explained about how much he, they love Izzo, how much he loves them. And I, for the last three days, I've had people, you know, trying to tell me that this is abuse and this is what abusive people oh, do. Jesus. I had people, Kevin, comparing this to, like, you can't even fathom the kind of things they compared this to. Like, it, it turned into... That they defended Sandusky and Penn State. I'm like, are you comparing Tom Izzo oh my with a quarter century of accomplishment to a convicted child molester? That's what you're doing. Well, these because people, are, those, not, those people are nuts. They are not to be. Uh, of course they are, but it's to. amazing. It's amazing the people because the, the, the thing that I think people took umbrage with is I said, just don't 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 be offended by things that don't concern you. And I'd say it a different way if you have a problem with that. Don't be don't be offended by things you don't understand. Because every single guy within that Izzo program, going back to Draymond Green, and I went on social media, Kelvin Torbert, Delvon Rowe, and on and on, Gary Harris, uh, Miles Bridges, everybody was retweeting what I said or saying that you need to understand within our program the love he has for us. And it gets, he gets, you know, angry. And, he, and people put, like, talked about his balled-up fist as if he was going to swing on this kid. Oh, like. And the kid himself came out and said, I came here to be coached by this man this way, and nobody cared. But the kid said this. Like, what's he going to say? He's in the program. What did the guys out of the program say that have long since left? And if he was this monster, somebody would stand up and go, yeah, you know, Izzo was actually pretty volatile and hostile and frightened me and scarred me. Nobody has said Not that. One. No Not one. Not one. And you know what? Stan- so Stanford Steve retweeted that, and it turned into this thing. Like it's it's been retweeted like seventy five thousand times. What like what the, the, the Winston thing or your thing? The thing I did with Izzo. Okay, and, and and like LeBron James and JJ Watt and all of these athletes and all these coaches are, are are retweeting it, saying this, saying how much they liked it. And what was fascinating, and you know me, I'm I'm apolitical, and I've been. Like I did a thing a couple of years ago where I got ripped by you know uh, by conservatives and like oh you're liberal this and that. Well, I had very conservative people saying this is great. There were like co- senators and congressmen saying this is what's wrong with America. This is great, and it was a lot of people with flags in their avatar retweeting me, and it was it was the <laughs> wildest thing where it became it be I was being retweeted by conservative uh, political leaning sort of uh, Twitter handles. And by very liberal athletes, so it's like it seemed like a lot of people agreed with what I had to say, maybe for different reasons. I don't know, but I know that there are people like Tommy Kevin who are passionately opposed to the idea of what Izzo did. Um, I know him. I thought I think he gets the best out of his guys. You don't like his tactics? That's fine. 
my point would be they don't they don't concern you and they shouldn't trouble you because you don't understand them or have the context of what goes on in that program. I agree with all of that. I think it's something that you said <clears throat> is very interesting, and I think Tommy may um, find interesting too because you know a reasonable response is well there there are a couple of reasonable responses if you're against what you saw. I totally agree with you. First of all, it's track record. We're familiar with him. We follow him. We know what he what he is. We know what his players say, etc. Two things, though. One, it doesn't mean it's the only way you can get a point across, the only way to coach a young person. There are lots of different ways, and some of them don't involve any screaming, and that's fine, too. It's just his style. The second thing is, is that people will say, and Tommy said this the other day, that you're never going to have you know, current players, and in many cases, former players, speak out against someone like that because in many cases, they are intimidated for a lifetime. Um, and you know what, that is, there is some truth to that, but you said something that actually I think is interesting in that you tweeted out or, or Stanford, Steve tweeted out what you did and players past and present retweeted it. So there's no pressure. They're not answering a question on camera. They're not being put on the spot as far as their coach goes, but they're retweeting it. They're making the decision you know, based on their personal experience without any pressure being put on them to endorse their coach, which we've heard over the years about Izzo, that they love him, they respect him. One of my favorite interviews I ever did, and I talked about it the other day on the show with Tommy, and it was a day in which Tommy was off. It was, uh, you know, five years ago, and Izzo was promoting something, and I forget what it was, but you know he's been one of my favorite coaches, and I had him on, and after you know spending 10 minutes on the Corey Lucius shot and how he broke my heart and everybody's heart, we talked about a lot of things, and I remember specifically saying, how do you get and recruit the players that you end up with, these kids that tend to be on the tougher side and, and you play this in? And he talked about it. He said, I'm very upfront with the kids and the parents. I'll never forget it. He said, I tell them the way I am and how demanding I'm going to be. And those are the kids I recruit. I won't recruit a kid that I don't think can handle me. So they, they go in knowing that. And that's why I don't think you see any pushback to it. And by the way, here's the other thing. I didn't even think visually it was that bad to watch. Maybe it's just because I'm clenched. The clenched fist and the finger point were, were what, were what rubbed people the wrong way. But he's done it before. Kevin, I, I, I said specifically in the piece, is this the only way to do this? Of course not. You can do it any number of ways. But these guys, that is a program that is, the identity is toughness. And you go there understanding that that is going to be how you're coached. And Henry said he went, he said, my parents and I, I, I came here with the understanding that that's what we wanted. They, 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 and, and, Again, I, I felt that, that the fact that Winston and McQuaid, the two players, were able to basically put their hands on his own and say, we've got this, shows you he empowers his players. Right. Like, it's, it's a family dynamic. And again, I get that, that optically it, 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 it might be troubling to people. I get that it isn't for everybody. But this is my issue with it, that, that I, is the reason I did the piece. It becomes, since it isn't for everybody, that allows people to yell and suggest it shouldn't be for anybody. That's bullshit. You don't get to tell people what they're supposed to, what, what they're allowed to want to be a part of. Like, you don't, because it's because it concerns you, as it relates to a basketball team. And they're like, well, if your boss wouldn't do this to you, of course not. My boss also wouldn't pat me on the ass and say, good job. 
because it's it's sports. In sports, you do those things. In sports, you might get hostile. I, I just found the, I found the reaction to it to be amazing. Very, very instructive on a lot of levels. I agree with all that. Uh, I'm going to go watch it. Um, and um, I know you got to run, but that was good. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. Enjoy the games, and it just sucks that we don't have a game to root for tomorrow night. Would you? I didn't even ask you. Were you going to be able to go, or did you tell me that you weren't going to be able to go Friday night? What? I wasn't going to be able to go. I, I'm going down to um, to uh, Jacksonville to help Tim Tebow with his charity event. So oh, right. I would have been in the of, of, of uh, being um, helping the kids, not being able to watch Maryland, which would have been a, a catastrophe. But you know what? I'd have figured something out. And um, it's a bummer. It's a bummer that I don't get a chance to. Hey, Tim, I'm f- I'm not feeling well. You're going to have to find yeah. somebody else. Um, all right. Yeah. Uh, enjoy that. I'll talk to you later. Sounds great. Have a good day. All right, thanks to Scott. Thanks to Tommy, too. Thanks to Corbin. He did a great job. Uh, Also, real quickly, consider Launch Workplaces if you're looking for new office space in Bethesda. They've got brand new, fully furnished offices right in that Mass Ave corridor in Bethesda, just over the D.C. line. Um, They've got conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, cafe, Free parking and plenty of it, 24-7 access. You can get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces. You can call today for an exclusive free two-day trial, 240-867-14, or visit launchworkplaces.com today. That's 240-867-14, or launchworkplaces.com. They've got other facilities, other office space uh, throughout the area, and you can find out where those are also at launchworkplaces.com. Have a great day. Back tomorrow.